0: Hello, Osha here. How are you? You good? Sitting in the sun again. The breeze. Going through the melaleuca trees. Frangipani's looking good. Jeez, they smell good, the French bench, Love it. Um, Richard Reed's on the show today. Oh, I'm a celebrity to get me out of here, the Today Show. But by goodness me, there's so much more to him than that. Um, before we get there, though... Uh, this podcast is not made by me alone. There are some incredibly talented people that make this with me, namely my audio producer Andy Ma, that cuts everything together and Rachel Barrett, my extraordinary show producer who wrangles me and my guests into being in the same place at the same time. Now, I need to pay these people, so this show has advertising. So, depending on where you're listening or how you're listening, you're either about to hear an ad or you're going to hear Richard Reid say something excellent about sobriety. Okay, let's flip a coin. I'll see you on the other side of the theme song.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass.
2: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to start
1: talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight. It's very hard as men. We don't like to admit defeat. Yeah, yeah. And when you realize that you can't handle your alcohol and you're not drinking responsibly and you're a mess, you have to admit defeat, that something conquered you. And that, there's a lot of shame around that, yeah, a lot yeah. of ego around that. Oh, yeah. my God, when I first came to Australia, when I wasn't drinking, I remember I went to, oh God. The races, the Melbourne Cup, you know, <laughs> Derby Day. Oh, well, I walked right into that red hot mess, and someone said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, let me get you a drink." And I'm like, "Oh, I don't drink." Oh, let me get you a beer. And I'm like, "No, no, no, it's okay. I, I don't drink." And they were like, "Well, why don't you drink?" And I was so ashamed to say, "Oh, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, I have a drinking yeah. problem." I said, "Oh, I've got hepatitis C." And <laughs> I was like, "Where did that come?" From? I'd rather have hepatitis C <laughs> than admit I had a drinking problem.
0: That. Is Hollywood gossip guru, entertainment reporter, and uh, all around legend Richard Reed. And this is better than yesterday. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Washi Ginsberg. This is Better Than Yesterday, episode 326 of the show. 326 with Richard Reed. Uh, you can find out more about Richard Reed. He's on Twitter at R Reed's Hollywood. Two R's, E I D S Hollywood. Yeah, if you're new, thank you so much for being here. This is a podcast that's simply designed to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's it. Something in this conversation will make you go, ah. There you go. I might give that a shot. Oh, that makes things more, make more, much more sense. And then today feels a bit better. When you go to bed tonight, you go, ah, oh, you know what? This was a good one. Today was a good one. That's it. That's all I'm here to do. Um, my name is Austin Ginzenberg. I'm a TV guy uh, and a, a podcast guy and a book writing guy from Sydney, Australia. Um, and uh, this is my show. I've been doing it every Monday and Friday for nine, seven years now, which is killer. And um, I'm grateful to everyone every person that listens and uh, certainly the people that do reach out and send me an email sendosheremail at gmail.com it's always great to hear from you got an email from Duncan I'm just going to read it out because it's it's pretty pretty stark but uh, I'm grateful for it I just felt compelled to write up to listen to your Friday check-in on 28th of February 2020 I'm really enjoying the check-in episodes. You kind of lost me for a bit with some guests you've had in the past 12 months, but adding that check-in has kept me around. <laughs> uh, when it was at the start of the episodes, it was always my favorite bit. I, I guess what I'm saying is I like the extra episode. It feels like it gives you a reason not to apologize for saying so much. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Keep it up. <laughs> oh, man, that is funny. I, well, I appreciate it. <laughs> Mate, Duncan, not every episode is going to be for everyone, and that's fine. That's totally fine, but I'm going to tell you, Even, and I, I stand by this because every guest that we book, we're absolutely sure about this. We check it with each other. I wouldn't put a podcast to air if I didn't think there was some value in it for everybody listening. All right. So no matter what you are going to hear something you need to hear today. All right. It might be confronting. You might want to go, oh no, fuck that. I don't want to be a part of that. Maybe why, why does that, why does you have that reaction inside your body? that's the question i'd ask you dunk um thanks heaps to brad who sent i love seeing where you're listening it's the best and brad is listening while he waits for a tram in nottingham all i know about nottingham is the robin hood story but it did not look like a sherwood forest there's tram tracks and brad and thanks very much and leanne picking up the kids from school just waiting waiting in the kiss and go for uh for the kids to get out and listening to the show. So, hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. How was your week? What's been going on? You, did you look after that thing? Did you get the drill out of downstairs and tighten that thing up you meant to tighten? Did you take the bins back in? Did you manage to plant that thing in the backyard that you've been meaning to plant? Did you call your friend? Did you call your parents? Did you call your kids? Did you cook that thing that you saw and went, you know what, well, that'd be really tasty. I should cook that. Was it a taste nice? If you didn't get it right, will you have another go? Was it nice to see your friends this week? Yeah. Cool. All right. Big week here. Crikey. G turned 16. Um, Man. She got her L's first go on her birthday. I was so damn proud. I took her for a drive around the car park. Then we got out on the road and we drove home. On her 16th birthday, it was pretty sick. Yes, not without its moments. I think the first time any of us get behind the wheel is interesting. But yeah, I think she's going to be really great. She's going to be a really great... uh, really great driver she 's a she 's a powerful young woman she really is, and she wants to do powerful young woman things, which she should do this morning just this morning. I was watching her help Wolfie learn how to crawl, which is pretty great wolfie 's just about to get just about to start getting ambulatory, just about to start moving around, and you know when when kids start to not be where you left them when they start to crawl about you start to have to go oh shit hang on we better protect him from the parts of the house that could be dangerous for him but not so much that we want to discourage him from exploring we don't want to put him in the baby prison just yet and uh, I remember my youngest brother I remember I was old enough to remember that when he started walking you kind of walk around behind them and you just shoot your hand out between their head and the sharp edges because you don't want to you know, they'll, they'll topple and then you, your hand gets in the way, so your hand cops the sharp edge, but they go, oh, yeah, I'm good, and they get themselves back up again and off they go. And you know what? As they get bigger, you just do the same thing. You've got to put yourself between them and the sharp edges. Now, obviously, you don't want to restrict their lives so they don't explore and have the learnings that go with that exploration, but you kind of have to get between them and the things in the world that might cause them injury. You don't want to put them on lockdown because they'll never learn anything. But you have to be willing to stand in the face of their growing ability to put up a very logical and very sound and very powerful argument for their why their wishes should be honoured and also be willing to have them not like you when you can clearly see those wishes might put them in jeopardy. It sucks because you've got to be willing for them to not like you. And it sucks because we want, we want our kids to think we're awesome. All right, I know I do. It's Wolfie, when his, his face lights up, when I, he squeals when he sees me. I want that to last forever. My ego just froths on Wolfie just lighting up when he rolls over and sees my face. And I'm, and I'm sure it'll, it'll be the same when, he's, when he gets older. But I don't want to be the one that disappoints the kids. But having that boundary, it's important, you know. It sucks to be the bad guy. But... It sucks less than the alternative. I'm really, really proud of her. She's a powerful, creative, resourceful, kind, hilarious young woman. And, you know, any parent of a teenager will will tell you that, yeah, sometimes you've got to get between their will to act and the world until they figure out how to handle the sharp edges that come with the territory of what it is that they want to do. And they will not like you for it. (laughs) And it can't suck that line between allowing them enough movement so that they can figure out things like choice and consequence and restricting that movement so they you know don't endanger themselves physically or mentally it's a it's a tricky one but this is what we get to do this is what we get to do and i wouldn't have it any other way i'm grateful that we have a relationship where she's honest she tells us everything and she knows that nothing is so Ever so bad that we'll never come and get her the moment that she calls. So she knows that. I'm I'm really, really grateful. Really, really grateful for that. She's an extraordinary kid and, you know, just... Yeah. She's a great human being and I adore having a front row seat, watching her become this powerful, powerful adult. It's pretty great. Let me tell you about my guest. I'm stoked to get this fella on. It's been a minute coming. We've been trying to get him on for at least God, a year and a half or so Richard Reed is a pop culture journalist originally from the US and now making his home mostly in Australia you can find him on Twitter at R Reed's Hollywood that's two R's E-I-D-S Hollywood you'll know him from his work as a Hollywood correspondent on the, the Today Show also his time on Celebrity Apprentice and he won last year's series of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here He's, he pops up on Studio 10 quite regularly these days and because you know all that, we don't really talk about that. We talked about two things mainly, and it was kind of driven by the, the current time of year in Australia. We've just celebrated uh, Mardi Gras in Australia. The, it used to be called the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. I think they just call it Mardi Gras now because they don't want to leave anybody out. It's a weekend that began as a protest at the dehumanising treatment of people in our community in Sydney in 1978. 78. I was alive when it happened. Those protesters, they were assaulted by police. They were thrown in jail and in the protests and marches over the following days and months, at one point 300 people showed up to a protest and the cops arrested 104 of these people. These people were campaigning for, generally, you know, I'm a what they called them a homosexual person i would like to be treated the same as every other person in australia because homosexuality was illegal in australia for a very long time in some states for surprisingly long time so you can imagine the stigma around homosexuality in your own lifetime all right just imagine what the stigma around homosexuality was in the in the 70s in australia to the point where 300 people show up to a protest 300 you know people sympathetic with the cause of homosexual people in our community and the cops arrest 104 of them. Um, That's uh, you know that's a big deal. In the following days after those arrests the Sydney Morning Herald published the names and occupations of the people that they'd arrested. Now think about the time that this happened in the 70s in Australia unfortunately 80s, 90s, 2000s and even now But it was a time when gay bashing or pufta bashing was a regular occurrence and violence against people in the non-heteronormative community was just, yeah, go for it. This was an extraordinary act of vilification of outright harassment, of acting dangerously, of of threatening people's lives and their livelihoods. You you know, your your job would be, oh, look, you know, let's make up a name, Ken. Ken's name's in the paper. He turned up to that protest for the poofers. Do we want Ken working here? You know, Ken, you're going to have to let you go. Ken's got no job. No way. Not okay. But that's how Mardi Gras started. And even with the yes vote behind us, the vote for marriage equality, rights for people who are anything but heteronormative and cisgendered are still pretty tricky in this country. It's important to know how far we've come and how far we have to go. And when I spoke with Richard Reed, that's kind of where we ended up for the first part of our conversation. He was really very open and very generous about describing his journey. A small town boy, only gay in the village, left everyone he knew to go to a community where he would be accepted. You know, it's unfortunately still the journey of many people in our community. It's uh, such a cracking chat. A cracking, cracking chat. And at a time uh, in this modern world, which is incredible, when something like taking a daily oral prep pill can greatly reduce your likelihood of contracting HIV from unprotected sex. And that's just the way it is now. That's just the way that life is now. It's important to remember how for someone like Richard, that at the heights of the AIDS crisis in the US, all of his friends died. All of them. Try and imagine that. A disease so bad that all of your friends were killed by it. There's a lot of alarm at the moment about the coronavirus. Think about that. How many people are actually being affected by this? And remember that for years, where year on year thousands and thousands of men were dying in the USA, and the government there did nothing. All right? Think about what the government there is doing. What the government here is doing about this disease and think about what they did about that disease so it's important that's that's it while i've been alive so it's important to remember where we were and where we've come from and indeed where we need to get to i've got to be really grateful to richard for being so open and honest about his journey because he really got stuck into it and we also talk a lot about sobriety and I'm bloody grateful for that because every now and again, I get someone who's sober on this show and I don't mind a bit of sober chat with another sober person. I'll have to, I don't I do mind comparing notes. And I'm grateful that, you know, within the boundaries that we need to observe to have that kind of conversation in the public eye, Richard and I were able to hopefully cover a lot of ground that might seem familiar to many people. I wrote about a lot of it in my book, Richard, uh, shares his story. And, uh, once again, it's that I'm not a special snowflake. I'm the same as every other bog standard addict. So we found some pretty common ground in this one. And in fact, I hope this part of the, that part of this conversation, the sobriety comp part of the conversation might, might help you if you have an issue with uh, drinking or any kind of addiction, shopping, gambling, drugs, whatever. Or that if maybe someone in your life has an issue with drinking, you might maybe you recommend this episode to them or their family so they might understand what is going on. Because if we can't talk about it, we can't do anything about it. That's plain and simple. So Richard was kind enough to meet me at the Batuta Studios in the... Diamond Diamantina, I think is how you pronounce it, in far western Queensland. And uh, the chaps from the Batuta Advocate let us use their room and uh, record this conversation with Mr. Richard Reed. So here you are, welcome. Oh, thank you. Did you have to travel far to join us here in Batuta? Uh,
1: not too far, and actually, I don't live too far from here. Actually, I can walk home, which is very, really? very cool. Yes. You're in the neighborhood? Yes, I am in the neighborhood, or the neighborhood, as <laughs> I like to call it. <laughs> is it really? A little bit. Well, Surrey Hills, you know. It's, yeah. it's right around Oxford Street and all that. Yeah, but it's a sad state of affairs. Oh, how? Oxford Street. Everyone's saying, oh, back in the day, it used to be rhinestones and glitter. Now it's just... Just homeless and meth addicts. It's quite tragic. When did you get to Sydney? Oh, gosh. Well, my first trip to Sydney was about mm, going on 15 years. Going on 15 years. Yeah. And I had Richard Wilkins. I said, show me the gay area. Show me the gay area. And so we drove up Oxford Street, up Flinders and all that. And I was like, really? This is it? You know, because in West Hollywood, you've been
0: there, and that's that's pretty fabulous, West it Hollywood. It is fab- There's like a few A's in fabulous that you didn't pronounce <laughs> there.
1: Uh,
0: I lived very near West Hollywood. Yeah. But, look, for what it is, I think being near West Hollywood is maybe, I mean, you can think about the size of the population. It's the size that's like 12 times larger than our country yeah. is the North America, the um, United States. So. You know, that Oxford Street, Darlinghurst, etc. was it was pretty concentrated for the city and considering the culture at the time and how incredibly difficult it was here for people who weren't heteronormative.
1: Oh, yeah. Heteronormative.
0: Yes. Wow, that's a good one. I don't get to whip, whip that out on, wow, on, on The Bachelor that often.
1: Heteronormative. Well, it is. I it like was... it. I know, honestly, I'm going to tell you, that's the first time I've heard that. Really? And I'm quite progressive.
0: But you know, is it, I know exactly
1: what you mean. it's, you know it's, it's a is.
0: good one. And, and this is a you know the the constant pressure on the gay community to yeah. assimilate into heteronormative behavior, mm. um, monogamy, pairing up, buying yeah. a house—that whole shit. Like it's all mm-hmm. there. And, mm-hmm. and, and in my own family, watching the tension and the pain that's arisen from who this person is mm. and who either they feel they should be or what society expects them to be—is mm. is the chasm. That thankfully in my own lifetime yeah. has gotten a lot smaller, but is definitely, definitely, definitely mm. still there. I can't identify at
1: all with pain and suffering and growing up a little gay boy. Even in America, it was quite bad, quite bad. So I never thought in my lifetime I'd see kids cross dressing in public school and being okay with it. Mm. Little, little ones little primary ones school kids. you know in oregon where i'm from i have some people who are parents of young children and when they go to the schools in portland oregon uh, my friend moved from la and she's like oh well she said this and they're like uh, uh, uh. it's they said this so you can't be gender specific oh, i think that's crossing the board a little What's bit but i'm old i'm old i'm trying to learn but you know it's a real steep learning curve you you know, it's a different dialogue, what you can say and what you can't say. It's different from when I first started coming to Australia. It's very
0: different what it, you can say. Sure, it sure is. And I, I wonder, that's English, you know, and there are some countries where every noun has a gender, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> and and also prepositions and things like if you're a female speaker or yeah. you're asking a male, that's within the language. So, yeah. I'm thinking like, you know, Italian or, or Spanish, for example, like, but I guess, you know, Then you know, my, my experience with that was in when I was with my ex-wife, she spoke mm. Hebrew, and mm. I don't know if you've ever been to Tel Aviv, but Israel's a pretty excellently accepting country of gays. Oh, and, is it? Oh, mate. It's the oh. only, only military in the world where you can be openly gay and secretly gay. Like, say what you want about the IDF, and there's a lot to say about the IDF. I think, when, when was I last there? 2005? The head chief you know i'm we're going to war i'm the one that pushes the button was a happily openly gay man and he's you know sending tanks into wow. into battle but what i was around there's a qu- huge gay population in in tel aviv and cuz i'm trying to learn hebrew and i'm there's a, the gendered pronouns and things like that i hear them talking about a particular person i know they're talking about a guy but they're using the female pronoun and hey. the female and the female references in in the words i don't understand it like oh, well, because that person's gay it's she did this and she did that Right. Yes. And I confuse the pants for me because I'm trying to learn the language.
1: Right. So yeah. Huh. Well, you know, there's some culture. I can't remember which culture it is. But there is a culture where the youngest child, if they're a male, they need to stay in the home and take care of the parents when they're old. And so they will treat that individual, if it's a male, like
0: a female. It sounds like some Pacific Islander countries. Yes, the, 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 the yes. Fafafine, I think it's yes. called. Yes, yeah. but
1: I always wonder if there, is it nature or nurture? Mm-hmm. Uh, can they have a, a normal heterosexual relationship? Are they... Just nurtured into homosexuality. I, I wonder. It's yeah. questions I want to know the answer to. It's
0: fascinating, and then and, that and it's completely accepted in, in many of those cultures, which is absolutely the, yeah. Particularly um, like in Samoa and in Tonga, if I'm not mistaken, I, I do find that I find that interesting. And then there's also the fraternal birth order effect, which is the you know the, every child of the same gender that gets born, the chances of the next child not being straight increased by, I think by something like 33%. It's interesting. It's really interesting. Is that around the world? Yeah, yeah. So it was, the, who told me about it? Shane Jenick, AKA Courtney Act, okay. um, told me about it. And the, uh, the theory is that more testosterone in the cave meant more competition and more chances that one of the kids would try and kill the other one. Uh, okay. So, and there's you know, more kids, we need someone to help care. And so the testosterone, I don't know. So Okay, so if you're
1: like an old school Catholic or a Mormon family and you have a gazillion kids, chances are down the
0: line, one is gonna be gay. Chances, I'm saying-
1: A hundred percent? Dude, you're kidding me? Oh my God. You gotta
0: be kidding me. If like one of those, there's someone I know is one of nine. Uh And I think I'm probably gonna get the number wrong, but I think four of them are- No way. Straight. Oh, straight. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, you don't know what-
1: repressed and uptight is until you've dated a gay mormon goodness me oh. where where was that oh of course in uh oregon i dated a gay okay mormon. so all i
0: know about oregon is what i learned from portlandia oh gosh and the twilight movies but more yeah. portlandia i, yeah. I vaguely ah. i watched a twilight movie for a junket once, so i was like what no. <laughs> like it was it was one of those things like when i first heard justin bieber I was working in pop radio and I just 100% didn't get it. And then I saw the chart numbers. I saw the record sales. I saw the people losing their minds over this person. I was like, "Yeah, I am now too old for this job. Because I don't understand it at all. Same, right. with, same with the twilights. Twilight stuff. Came around the same, around the same time. I'm like, mm. Don't get it. Completely misses me. Yeah, no, Twilight, yeah. I was I, out believe gig, me, and I've got a good I was 10, out that 20
1: years on you, I would say. So um, Portland and Oregon in general, anything above California, it rains a lot. Mm-hmm. I remember one year it rained every day for eight months solid. Yeah. And so I grew up in gloom. Yeah. You know, and so it's not every time I go back and it rains, I'm like, oh, I forgot about this. So yeah. I really have selective memory. Yeah. You know, I, there are a lot of things I wish I could forget mm. about. Oregon. You know, you have Portland and your bigger cities. They're progressive enough. But Portland, when they say keep Portland weird, they like to keep it weird. They like to keep it funky. Mm. They're 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 kind of like um hippies, mm. but are now hipsters. Yeah. So they're cashed up hippies. Yeah, yeah. And they're very politically correct, very mm. serious, and they like their Yeah. They drink a
0: lot of beer because what else do you do in the rain? Yeah, true, true. But there are parts of Oregon which are weirdly intensely militant at the moment. Oh, yeah. uh, Didn't they like hold the... I don't know what it's called here. We'd call it the state government here, the government house, whatever that house is. The capital? Yeah, the capital. The of state sa- capital? Of the state capital. I believe there was a vote around some sort of carbon tax or something like that and these gum-toting libertarians were basically affected. It was fucking heavy and that was in Oregon. Yeah. It's fucking weird oh, yeah. up there, well, man. Oh, yeah, well, that's the city I'm from. <laughs> it's weird.
1: Salem, Oregon, which Salem, incidentally, means peace. Isn't that the place from Days of Our Lives? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm not in the place where Mark. Lena is from or it's there's also Salem with the witch trials but that's Salem Massachusetts. Massachusetts yes yes but I'm from Salem Oregon which is a little bit it's a nice city it's a little bit of a armpit but it, it was some tough growing up there. Some you tough were, growing up I'm, I'm guessing you were the only gay in the village. <laughs> well, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much I was the only gay in the village in Salem. But before that, I lived in a town called Klamath Falls, Oregon, which is uh, southern Oregon. And there was no falls in Klamath Falls. Was that Klamath? Oh, I don't know what it was. It was just a horrible, horrible place. My dad, yeah. my stepdad actually was with uh, IBM, you know, big computers. Yes. And they always joke that that stands for I've been moved. <laughs> because we, when I was in the fifth grade, we lived in four different cities. Right, right. And that's really tough. And we, got, they got progressively smaller. We were in Boulder, Colorado. We were in Eugene, Oregon. Then we we're in Salem for a couple months. And then he got transferred to Klamath Falls, right. which- very small. It was a, uh, had a military base. It was ah. half military and half uh, Native American Indians. Right. So, they had a reservation there. And so, oftentimes, it was Caucasians versus the m- American Indians versus the military. So, there was lots of drinking, lots of cowboys, you yeah. know,
0: and there I was. Now, I was the only gay in right. that village. I and- don't know enough about the reservations uh, except for... It was like, well, we can't just keep slaughtering everybody. You'll just go and go live here. We don't care if you're not from here. You're gonna go live there. Yeah, something like that.
1: Something like that. Uh, I think there's a uh, protected land, mm. and uh, there was a lot of government funding paying back the American Indians for the land that we took from them. Right. So, every every month they got a check. And unfortunately, and this is a gross generalization, but a lot of that money would be spent on drugs and alcohol.
0: Right. So, it's
1: self-perpetuating.
0: Yeah. I think we've, you know there's very obviously similar social problems yeah. here with... Um, You know, just this extraordinary future shock of this very, very different culture coming in and and bringing its rules and and disease and poisons upon a culture that's utterly unprepared to deal with this difference of technology and expectation and disease. And then Mm. it all just becomes a a horrible swirling Mm. pit of. Mm. And I think it was
1: actually. You know, rumor has it or, you know, history has it that the white man actually supplied the Indians with alcohol so it would keep them in their place. I wouldn't dare say. I
0: dare say, you know, if they gave them blankets (laughs) full of smallpox, Richard Reed, I don't feel that they would have a – that that would be, you know, beyond their – world. At what point did you reach escape velocity from Oregon?
1: Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. Uh well when I was eighteen I fled on a Greyhound bus. Really? Um yes. It's like I, a music video. Yeah, I know. Well I was eighteen and I had you my say, first my- boyfriend who was twenty-two yeah. who was a he was divorced from a dental hygienist, a mm-hmm. woman, and we had appeared together in a community. Production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. He played Schroeder, I played Linus, and he looked under my blanket and uh, whisked me away to San Francisco. Oh, really? I know. So what was the conversation with your folks? I was like, hi, I'm going to go to San Francisco for a trip right after high school. And they're like, okay. My folks were rather oblivious. Really? Oblivious, yeah. I was always the good child, which means I was always the smart child. My brother and sister... They didn't do anything I didn't do. They just weren't as
0: clever as I was to cover it up. Right. So yeah. did you, had you come out to them boys' point?
1: No, 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 no. But, you know, I, Blind Freddy can tell I'm gay. Come on. I've been living with that every day since I was probably, oh, my God, 10. Holy shit. Yeah. You somehow. I remember the first time someone called me swivel hips. And then that nickname stuck. It was horrible. It was horrible growing up in a small town, being the only gay in the village, and being called names every single day for probably
0: five to seven years. To think that... Sorry, I just got really (laughs) quite emotional there. Um, What we were talking about before, to think that you know, here you are, are, you're a little older than me, I'm in my mid-40s, and even now your reaction to, did you come out to your parents? Like, fuck, no, no way, at 18. And now we live in a time where if you're 13, 14, it's probably pretty safe in most parts of this country to come out.
1: I don't know if it still is in the small towns. Possibly, yeah. It could be different in the small towns, but larger towns. Also, you know, now when you hear stories of young people 13 14 maybe even younger saying i was born in the wrong body yeah i might be biologically a man but i'm a woman inside Hmm. this is you know people who are barely in their teens and telling having that conversation with their parents yeah you know yeah Uh, i didn't come out till i was 26 to my parents and i took a trip i was living in new york city at that time and i Took a trip specifically to tell my mother that I was gay. And it took me probably two years working very closely with a therapist before I grew a set of balls and could do it. What was her reaction? Uh, Well, you know, it was very odd because we were in a parking structure and somehow the conversation, we were in the elevator and somehow the conversation, so are you dating anybody? And I was like, oh, mom, I really don't. I really don't date. She goes, well, what what do you really call it when you go out with a girl? And I said, Mom, I, I don't go out with girls. I'm gay. I think you know that. And she was like, no, I don't know that. And I was like, well, I am. Wow, really? And then the elevator door opened. And you know, we talked about it a little further, but yeah. she didn't tell my stepfather yeah. for another three years. Whoa! I'm very close with my stepfather, but I didn't have that uh, conversation with them. And wow. then she told him when she was having a bipolar episode.
0: All oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So it just kind of slipped out. Was she was she sick? You know, most of you, you're growing up.
1: Oh yeah, she would have. Episodes. Well, she had episodes ever since she was in high school. But yeah. you know, when you're younger, you have one, and it can be you know five, six, seven years, and then you might have another one. So she, I, I don't even think they knew to call it you know bipolar, manic depressive. I think they just called it crazy. Mm. But she spent her first time in a mental institution when she was in her second year of uni mm-hmm. she had a breakdown in college thanks to diet pills
0: oh good lord well that amount mm, of diet pills well, for, for folks who don't know they were basically over-the-counter amphetamines really really clean speed yeah and if you had an exam to do if you had a thesis to write yeah pop a couple of these babies in, you can do three straight days. You do three straight days without sleeping, you're gonna have episodes of psychosis. Like, that's it. Your brain starts to fucking malfunction.
1: (laughs) Mother's little helper, they used to call him, you know? Your
0: brain starts to malfunction and shit just goes wrong. Shit just goes wrong. Yeah, and
1: when you're on amphetamines to study, and also my mother was on a diet every day from the time she was 13 years old. Really? Massive body issues, massive. I wonder where I get them. And so... Yeah, you you throw amphetamines into being bipolar, yeah. and you just it's just like a Molotov cocktail. Right. It's like a
0: time bomb. Just well, it's, waiting it's one to of those, you know. and it's one of those um, people reach. Unfortunately, in Australia, they reach for meth now because it's one of those self medicating drugs. Mm. Where you know if you're that down and you take something to get you up, mm. oh, great. Or as well with if you're on antipsychotics, the weight gain is such a drag. Yeah, that, you know, a couple. Oh, of, so antipsychotics. Yeah,
1: And meth, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, not for, I was thinking <laughs> not for depression. I was thinking just as a, as a,
0: you know, you want to lose a couple pounds before the wedding, you know. Right. It's that, but it doesn't happen no, that way. Goodness, no. You know. Goodness. Did she ever talk to you about, you know, what was going on? Do you remember the first time you saw her and she was being something doing something or saying something that wasn't like other moms? Oh gosh.
1: When my grandfather died, I was in the 5th grade and my mother was especially close to her father, and he died suddenly. And she fell into a very deep depression, didn't Hmm. get out of bed for mm, probably a month and a half. Oh, man. But it was something we never talked about. Yeah. And then right after that, she had an uptick where she went the opposite direction. I remember one time my dad came home and we were all sitting around the dinner table. And it was just, there was just tension in the air. I don't know why. And my dad was like, "Uh, Lynn, pass the roast beef. And yeah, she didn't say anything. And he goes, Lynn. Pass the roast beef. And she doesn't say anything. And by that point, my brother, sister, and I were like, oh, fuck, what's up?
0: Here it comes, yeah.
1: And she goes, Lynn, pass the roast beef. She takes the roast beef, dumps the entire platter onto his lap. She goes, you want roast beef? Here's roast beef. Leave me alone. And she burst into tears and ran out of her room. And we never talked about it. Oh, really? Never talked about it. never talked about the fear back then was like are you getting a divorce i'm like no we just had a fight your mother just had a meltdown and she had meltdowns pretty regularly probably for every seven years and then uh she had another one after i left home yeah where she was uh driving people around from the church and uh she drove an old lady to the local supermarket to do her shopping. And the woman said, uh, bye, Lynn. We'll see you later. And my mom goes, you're a fucking slut. And shut the door and left the old woman at the shopping market. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, that's unusual. <laughs> and then <laughs> a couple of days later, she didn't come home, didn't come home, didn't come home. And then she drives up to my dad, dad's house in a brand new ford minivan and was like i thought we needed a new car i was like we can't afford this because well we need it you know you just don't do something like that yeah. and so there were episodes that we all thought oh mom's just being crazy and then it got really bad and she was institutionalized for three four months
0: all oh, right a big big depression and you were but you were, had gone by then
1: yeah i well i'd already gone I'd moved around. I'd moved to San Francisco, Los Angeles. I moved to New York. And at this time, I was living in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So I was close enough to come down and, yeah. and visit her.
0: Yeah, It's tough to say.
1: Yeah. And it wasn't, she yeah. was, we thought she was gone. Yeah, yeah. And then they said, we can do electroshock therapy. Shit, man. Yeah. And we were like, oh, we've seen Cuckoo's Nest. We don't want that. But thank God it pulled her out. Yeah, It pulled her out and yeah. we had our we had my mother back
0: yeah it was it was beautiful nothing uh <laughs> nothing can really prepare you for the smell of an inpatient ward of a uh, psychiatric hospital yeah yeah it's a different it's a different smell it's a different vibe it's not like a regular hospital
1: no no it's right of i'd equate it right up there with old folks nursing home
0: yeah though. yeah they're
1: they're they're both rather unpleasant yeah and it's something that you know
0: you don't want to smell a lot but unfortunately you have it's to just personal hygiene takes a backseat, you know <laughs> just like i would take a shower but i'm dealing with the fact that all the birds are talking about me yes and i just have to deal with that right oh now. god so if i turn the shower on they might have snuck some acid into the water supply so i'm not going to shower yeah, yeah. And, and okay all right whatever you want to do, Brian, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and <then> he's like, <laughs> what are you looking at? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not looking at it. What are you looking at? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, oh yeah,
1: my yeah, gosh.
0: Yeah. It was uh, So tough. I guess, you know, for, as someone who, you know, I kind of distanced myself as well from my family in my late teens, what do you remember about that first couple of months in, in San Francisco? Was it, uh, was it like the Village People movie? where you Stephen Gutenberg on skates, just just rolling into the Castro and just like, here we are, this is oh, the best thing in the world? Yeah. Oh God,
1: I was like, <laughs> uh, you know, because disco was you know at its peak, and yeah. I was just, I was just a little twink with bleach blonde, you know, feathered. Of course hair, you were. Of course skinny, you were. Skinny, like I wasn't eating properly. I was pale. I was white. I was like every yeah. pervert's dream boy, and I was having a really good time. And the 22-year-old, was he still around? Oh, my God. Two weeks later, it was over. I broke his heart and moved in with a 38-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Wolfgang. Wolfgang. Yes, he was a German, and God, can you say... Daddy issues I guess I had those oh, really? I had yeah. those Absolutely.
0: Yeah Well that's That's not uncommon it's, it's not an uncommon thing Oh I loved him yeah, I oh, bet you did Oh my god I loved
1: him And I thought he loved me Until about a month later When a cuter, maybe 17-year-old caught uh, his eye. You know, I, I I pretty much knew the deal, so, but I was always special to him. Yeah. He always kept me around.
0: So, so let me just good. do that. I'm just trying to get the, the scope of this, you know, depending on the context of the first stuff we talked about. I'm just trying to get a scope of your, you are a, a, just a little bit older than me. So this would have been right- 50, I'm 55 and this AIDS was just- Yeah. In the public this, consciousness. This is, this is what I'm going on about. Like, yeah. this would have been right at the very start of the like seven or eight years of Reagan just not doing- Anything, like the US government just denying that this even existed and letting, I think, something like 25, 30, 40,000 people die. Oh, yeah. Just let them die.
1: Yeah, well, it was, you know, it was considered a a gay disease. It first started, the first thing they called it was gay cancer. Yeah. And uh, then they called it GRID. And then it got its name AIDS. And it wasn't really until it started seeping into that... American heterosexual community, you know, through bad blood transfusions yeah. or uh, guys on the yeah, down low. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Men who have sex with men who don't identify as yeah. gay. That's yeah. still where uh, the predominance of uh, HIV is spread in America, but I digress. So it was right before that. And I remember going to Wolfgang, my 38 year old boyfriend, and saying, Wolfgang, I don't want gay cancer. And he said to me, Oh, Richard. Only fags get gay cancer and you're not a fag. And I was like, oh, I'm not? So clearly he had a very German kind of, oh, there's fags and there's gay people. Well, I always thought I was kind of a fag, but apparently it d- yeah. didn't happen to me.
0: It, like the idea that your identity is, and the problems facing your, your community is just being so extraordinarily ignored and just, just denied existence and, oh, yeah. and just being utilised unfortunately, by the Christian right in that country at the time to just marginalize people who had no choice in how they got born even further. Yeah, and then to top it off, because America is quite puritanical,
1: quite puritanical, so it was a disease that gay men got from having butt sex Therefore, it was a crime against nature, a crime against God, and they got what they deserved, and they need to die alone in a hospital, and their family needs to disown them. Yeah. It was sad. I'm not lying to you, Osher. When I tell you, all my friends died. I don't, I don't doubt it. All of them. I don't doubt it. You would have gone to a lot of funerals. A lot of funerals. Yeah. A lot, ran out of tears. Ran out of tears. And. God, I don't know why, but I was spared. I was spared. And it wasn't like I was smart. Believe me. I was like the little whore of Castro Street. But somehow, I dodged that bullet. God, amazing. There has to be a higher power. There has to be something in the universe that spared me. It wasn't my common sense, because I didn't get common sense for a long time. Did people call you and say, I've got it. We've been together. I've had that. I've had that conversation before.
0: Out, man. Yeah. And at the time, it was a death sentence. Oh,
1: my God.
0: A death sentence. People don't quite get it. You know, there's- They there's, don't. There's prep. There's all this. They thing. don't. Even here in Sydney, people don't quite understand that at the Sacred Heart Hospice, which is it's not far from here, actually. Mm. It's just near St. Vincent's Hospital. Mm. I think it's a 22-bed hospice. And I- I think at one point the number I heard was like 145 people that just had men lying in the hallways, just yep. dying. They thought this is right before the bowling ball Grim Reaper commercial, which yeah. if you go on YouTube, you'll see Oh, it. I've seen that. Um, this is right before that because they're like, Did this it scare is the, the, shit this out is of the you? fucking plague. Did I was 10, I was 11, <laughs> you know, when it came out, but they thought this is the plague. We don't know how to stop this. Yeah. At least they took it seriously enough to put a public service announcement on, on the telly, but- that's the devastation of what it did to the city. You know, you look at somewhere like New York. I mean, and I've talked about this on the show before. Something like the Metropolitan Ballet in New York, mm. like their subscriber, I'm just vanished within about two years because all their audience died. You know, opera companies going broke.
1: Oh, 100 percent. You know,
0: and and, I'm, and the same thing. Like, holy shit, man! The amount of for lease on for rent signs you must have seen just because the tenants have died like i can't imagine
1: oh how horrible yeah, no, it was no. the only upside for me was that when you'd go to an op shop or a vinnies or something the clothing selection was fabulous all oh, right <laughs> <laughs> that's a grim <laughs> way of looking at it you Richard. know what i know what i'm saying i'm like god where do you get these suits and they'd be like well <laughs> it's a very well-dressed you remember danny man. yeah, yeah but- remember danny he always looked really smart yeah. Those pants were his. I'm like, oh, oh, sorry. You know? Oh, my gosh. But you know what? You have to find humor where you can yeah. in, in every situation. And, you know, when you live through that type of epidemic, that yes. kind of, yes. of Holocaust, yes. as it were— you learn to laugh you know well, you learn to laugh
0: my goodness me i there's i have a a, a friend who is um he's a, he's a bit older than you he's about 15 years older than you but he has a similar story of he goes you've seen those photos of the fire island parties he goes, yeah of course i've seen those photos of the fire island parties he goes, like that was me in those trunks i was there every weekend <laughs> and he says like if you took a you know if you there's 100 men in that photo it's probably three of us alive yeah. You know, he goes, he goes, 100%. and he says, I have no idea why I'm not dead because I was doing everything those guys were. Yeah. And Luck of the Draw. Mate. It's, really, it's the luck of the draw. Oh,
1: just, luck of the draw. And you could have oh. had, you know, let's say you were like a young kid, fresh off the bus, maybe have sex for the first time. Mm. Welcome. Done. Yeah. Hello. You know? Yeah. So I'm very blessed in that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How did life change for you after you came out to your parents? Did you feel a weight lift off your shoulders? Did you feel anything shift within you?
1: Mm, Let me think. Yeah, I suppose so. so I've always been very hard on myself personally Mm. to uh, make my parents proud. So Mm -hmm. that was the biggest thing. I was really worried that they wouldn't be proud of me. But after I came out to my parents, I quickly became like uh a street activist I joined Act Up which Mm. was uh, a group that took to the streets to march for awareness of AIDS and AIDS medication there was another group called Queer Nation which was about spreading uh, gay and queer visibility Mm. so I uh, I became like a very pretty street activist did you get arrested I don't think I ever got arrested but I went to a couple of kiss-ins in shopping malls which I thought was quite radical at the time Uh, what else did we do we went to the March on Washington Washington, which I was very proud of. I think I went to the one in 93, which was uh, to demand uh, more money for AIDS research, of course, and gay rights. And I remember I had a button, a little button, and it said, heal AIDS with love.
2: Uh
0: And
1: I was like, wow. So I wore that. And I remember I forgot I had it. And I was taking the train back. And I was buying my ticket. And the guy says, heal AIDS with love. And I was like, oh, yeah. And he goes, what does that mean? And I was like, I I guess it means have compassion for people with AIDS. And he was like, I don't think so. And there was another button that I had. I might still have it. And this was really shocking. It said, the body of Christ has AIDS. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) I, I had to wrap my head around that. The body of Christ has AIDS. I still to this very day, I mean, does it mean that Christ is love and AIDS can be anywhere or heal AIDS with love, show compassion, even yeah. if you're right wing? It was really Maybe it's tough stuff.
0: What it, do you think that means? Well, I'm just going in these particular beliefs, God made humans yeah. in God's image. So therefore, you know, we are copies of what this deity would be so yeah. therefore if we have it we are being given what is in the image of this deity so therefore logically
1: <laughs> <laughs> i know i know
0: it does kind of bend my noodle a bit when you look back and you when you see how much influence the fundamentalist christians had or still have in yeah. uh, in politics it just can't be good. <laughs> it can't be. It can't be good. It just, you know, it just causes. Uh, I'm sure. know uh, the thing I have to remember is, as far as they concerned they're doing the right thing. They're saving you and me from hell, mate. They're saving. Oh, it's so God, you don't understand, God. guys? You don't. You don't understand what fucking sinful life you're living. Mm. Uh, you, you know, we're saving you from a, a like a, a eternality of um of, of boiling in lava. Like, hmm. well, what if I don't accept that there's lava? But there is. But I don't no. believe it. No, I don't believe in
1: hell. Do you believe in hell? <laughs> no, fuck I, no. I don't believe, it. do you believe in heaven? No. Nah. Really? Okay, nah. so when you die, yes. do you die or is there gonna be another experience?
0: I would not know. The incredible random act of physics and biology that has put my consciousness together is astonishing to behold. Mm. And for me, that is enough to be that is the deity as far as I'm concerned, that this, the, the, the pure creation of, of nature and, yep. and the, the laws of physics that hold my atoms together. Yep. My atoms, this phone, those sunglasses, all mm-hmm. of the stuff came from the same stars, billions and billions of miles away. Mm-hmm. And all that's going to happen when I die is my atoms are going to be absorbed into the system and go into something else, just as I am made of, like every atom mm-hmm. in my body was once food I ate, or if it's parts of my bone and more permanent, it was probably once food that my mother ate. Right? Mm-hmm. Every, and, and that atom was... Mm-hmm. Wants a cow, or wants you know a piece of grass, right. or wants a glass of water that was drunk in a, in Italy by my mum in the in the sixties. <laughs> <All> right, so <laughs> I am the universe, and the universe is me. And if that isn't. More like if you can't be reverent before the face of that vast astonishingness, for me that's enough. Man. Yeah.
1: So you that's believe enough. that? Okay. You're gonna die, <laughs> and your your earthly body will it will be f- either be put into the ground or whatever's gonna happen. Ashes, whatever. That's gonna be absorbed into the universe. Precisely. And it will go on. I'll, Yet. Yes. Okay. Your spirit a- and your soul. Yes. Is that going to evaporate? Is it going to go on? Will you go, be at one with the universe? I,
0: I don't know, man. Like, is there going to be another journey? It's just a bunch of electrical signals flying around my neurons right. that are creating this sense of consciousness mm. that is, is this person sitting in these jeans talking to you right now here in the Batuta studios. Yeah. That energy, that electrical energy that's flying around my brain will cease when my body ceases mm. and it will no longer, that, that's it it's over and that's Oh yeah, I, yeah i'm yeah, okay
1: yeah. with that i'm okay with that too so i i try to live my life obviously to try to be the best kind of person i can be to be a man of my word and to treat others with respect especially people who don't command respect i try to have respect for them as well because i was brought up you know a good christian boy and a, a part of me still is a good a good christian boy who sucks cock but <laughs> other than that i'm a good christian Boy, I had to break it to you. Richard, you're not the only one. I know you're not the only one. Come on, come all. Please go to my website. (laughs) No, uh, but (laughs) but you know, I the way I, I try to live is like. I live my life as if there's going to be an afterlife. There's Uh going to be a heaven of some kind. So I'm either going to die and that's it. It's done. It's over. Or there's going to be some great, fabulous new journey. I don't know what it is. I probably won't be me. I'm not going to be at one with my grandmother, my late father, all my friends who died of AIDS. I don't know what it's going to be. But I'm okay either way. Yeah. You know? Cause I'll be dead, <laughs> you know? And if dead is dead, I'll be dead. I won't give a fuck cause I won't know it.
0: <laughs> that's the best part. Yeah, yeah. That's the, be- I think mean, that's the, you know. <laughs> and it, I think it, it's, you know, it's in the denial of death. I think that we're getting so much trouble, you know, it's yeah. in, the, in the denial of death that we end up buying sports cars and buying shit that we don't need and all kinds of stuff. Mm. We're just trying to stave off the uncomfortable feeling that every single person you meet today is going to be dead one day. Yeah. Everyone have you heard of like, this
1: whole minimalist movement? I
0: have. Yeah. Can't do it. Try it. No. Can't do it. I yeah. work with a guy like that once. He and I were working on a podcasting app a long time ago. And um, he owned 140 things. Wow Two of those things Were a tent And a sleeping bag He was, mm. an, he was a nomadic minimalist Ooh. Loved it Ooh. Loved it And he would say Hey man I'm going to be uh, Going to be on Central This is in America I'm going to be on Central Time For a while Why is that uh, I spend the winters In Arizona because I think he was From your neck of the woods Yeah From yeah. Seattle or, or Portland or something And he goes No I just go to a reservation And I go and find a reservation That's within a distance Of a, of a tel- cell phone tower And he just does his coding work Sitting in the forest That's what y- he did Yeah He was that guy yeah, ah, you know who, who's that? Who's that chick? Who's the organizer? Maria,
1: Marie Marie Kodo or Marie Kondo? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a cross between a minimalist and trying to be a little bit more Marie Kondo. I'm trying to be less materialistic. Yeah, you I, know. Yeah, you, you probably know I. I we talked uh, the other day. I, I love a loud suit. I love a loud shirt. I love yeah. it. It's color. Uh, we work in TV. Television is a color medium. Color means happiness Gotta to me. Got to make yeah. it pop, Richard. Hello. And so I've learned that I have enough bright colored shirts. I shit bright colored shirts. And so I know I have enough. And so honestly, it just reached a point where I did not get joy, mm. any more joy out of buying more shirts that I probably wouldn't wear mm. and for some reason the thrill of buying it that you know spark of happiness just wasn't there anymore it wasn't there anymore yeah. so i kind of stopped yeah. and i've been i've been pretty good you know you find that elsewhere Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select Lab-Grown Diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?
0: Similarly, with clothes, I thankfully my job in television, clothes at the end of a season. Yeah. Not the suits. I don't get to keep the suits. You
1: know what? The thing, here's the funny thing is I buy my big time queen Liberace suits. They loan you those yeah, big time but I, gay Liberace I suits. I don't get to keep them though. I don't get to keep <laughs> them. Know.
0: And unfortunately, you are a couple sizes smaller than me. So I can't <laughs> even
1: raid your wardrobe no, at
0: 10. No, you can't. They're sitting uh, there though. And they were tailored for me. Uh, oh. But I, because, you know, occasionally at the end of the season, you know, there's like, Four or five t- shirts that no one else is going to wear, yeah, so Melissa will be like, "'Do you want these, Yeah, okay, and then I bring them home, but I'm trying as hard as I can if four t-shirts come home, four t- shirts like leave
1: oh ah. yeah,
0: I try as, try as hard as I can because i I really I don't wear that many different clothes anymore do you
1: try hard or do you succeed
0: yeah i do i, That's I really do good. i do mostly with stuff though I'm, I'm having a harder time with stuff but it is it bizarrely is i've kind of linked it back to more and more that it is the denial of death that if i get rid of this camera this beautiful yashica twin lens reflex that i've you know wow that, that shot in the korean war that i bought off a friend whose father took it to korea if i get rid of that Like, A, I'll never get one again. And what does it mean if I then get rid of this beautiful camera and, oh, okay, I can't leave it. I'm going to have to keep it. Well, now I've got to find somewhere to put this stupid camera. Yeah. And so will you ever take pictures with that camera? Again, I I would like to think I would. Yeah. Um, It's just, you know, things like that. I have a camera problem. Well, yeah. Back when you did, remember when you
1: did that whole year of pictures? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that with a professional camera? Yeah, very. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so very. very.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Canon five yeah. D. I shot that on a five D two. That's it. Was yeah. ten years ago. What's interesting about that is uh, I look at it now, and anyone can go look at it. Sitting on. Were you out of your mind on booze, uh, then? It's or? wildly. I didn't realize it. <laughs> I just took a photo every day for a year. Yeah, I remember. It just this. happened to be the three hundred and sixty-five days where I hosted Idol by myself. This was after James got the yes. flick. Oh, he left by his own accord. Oh, he, he did. Oh, yeah, he, oh I, he ch- I misunderstood. He chose to leave. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. James
1: Matheson chose to leave. Of course, he the highest-rated show yes. in Australia. He did. Why? You can ask James. I will. I was on Celebrity Apprentice with him, and it never came up. He's a good chat, as you no doubt know. Oh, so, I, very I adore him. man.
0: Oh, he's very dry. I delight. Very I clever. delight in his presence. So it was the year that I hosted Idol by myself. The year that I got my green card. The year that I moved to America. The year that. Take 40 Australia ended and, you know, I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? Because Idol ended as well. Yeah. So I was like, shit, I haven't got a I've moved to America and now I have no jobs. And then the, another radio show showed up, Hot Hits showed up. Yeah. And then the last... You know, it was the last six months of my drinking. I even photographed myself on the last day I went out and the, the day of oh, I took a photo of my face of like, I can never drink again and I know that. Hmm. I, it was and a, you were a newlywed, right? Oh, you? no, not so much. We'd no? Been, I'd been, this is my ex-wife. I think yeah. we'd, we'd been married mm, just over two and a bit years at that point. And then the, my first six months of sobriety. And you can see my face every day just get skinnier and skinnier. You can see mm. light come back into my eyes. Mm. But those last six months, I'm just, I'm puffy, I'm like a balloon with eyes on it. I'm you know drinking all the time. I'm just, yeah, I'm smashed in a lot of them i I, I wrote, yeah. oh yeah, I was tired today, I just put a self timer on and i was I was so drunk because I would take <laughs> photos of myself and i have, i have drunk eye, yeah, and I like no matter how many times I tried to take the photo, my eye would be drunk, so i'd I oh, know what I'll do. I'll just pretend to be tired right, and so I' close my eyes in the photo, oh, so you were
1: very much aware that you were an alcoholic. Oh,
0: y- you were aware of it. Very much, but absolutely couldn't stop. You weren't in denial. Couldn't stop. Couldn't stop. Right. 100% couldn't right. stop. But and you f-
1: always had great hair in those photos.
0: I was very lucky. I was very lucky to. You're follically fabulous. I'm, I'm happy to report that our baby son is as well. Oh really? Yes, yeah, so he came yeah, yeah, out yeah. came out with a full flock. It was it's all,
1: <laughs> it's
0: all it's all happening.
1: Little flock of seagulls. It's all,
0: it's all happening. Yes, it sure is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't stop as much as I wanted to, and I knew it was a problem, but I, I just couldn't stop. I knew it was, you know. It's, How long do you have now? I should check my phone, but I just, oh, do you have the date? Of course I do. In March, it'll be ten years. Ten years. Yeah wow day got at a time. me beat i'm eight and a half right day at a time man yeah it's like anything you know I, but i
1: had three and then i took a break yeah <laughs> i took a break and we were on out? a break oh demoralizing
0: yeah humiliating
1: what rock was th- bottom
0: what was the in um, australia what we're talking about is we're talking about sobriety and yeah. we're talking about uh, you in the particular the fellowship that I am a part of we yeah. count days count days count we, months and we take years, and we take
1: you, steps and you take pride yes.
0: in the length you've had. Well, you end up, as Matthew Mitchum, the Olympic diver, said on this very show, he goes, you end up building a life in sobriety that you're not willing to lose. Mm. And you end up building enough time that you're like, you know what, I know exactly what's going to happen if I touch a drop, touch a gram, touch a pill, touch whatever. I know that all of this will vanish. It might not be today, it might not be in six weeks, it might not be. But I know for 100% that given enough time, hours, months, usually probably only for me months, (laughs) everything here will go. Everything here, 100% will go and I'm not willing to do that. So I will not have this beer, wine, line, pill, whatever. I won't have it because it's not worth losing what I've built up. So that's what we're talking about. So you've got three and a bit Years, yeah, and then what happened? Well, then
1: I got a show called Domestic Blitz. Yes, I was with Nine at the time doing the Today Show, the Gossip Crosses, and I got this call, and they wanted me to be on the show, Domestic Blitz, Prime Time. And, let's yeah, Prime go. Time. Scott Cam, Mike Shelley overshot? Grant. Yeah, it was yeah. the. I always say the bastard child of uh, Backyard Blitz. Oh yeah, you know, it was a beautiful, beautiful show, and I would come and take the family away on a holiday while Scott and Shelley and the crew would redo their home, Magnificent. and so. It was was through my time with them that we 'd find out why we chose them, and usually it would have to do with maybe an illness in the family uh-huh. or maybe some depression unemployment and you know it 's very hard on me because it was hard on me because i 'm a very sincere, honest, upfront, yet curious person, mm. and so I felt like I was being mildly manipulative when I would ask them so tell me about the cancer, you know, and you know, it's TV, you know, you want something heartfelt. And I just would feel so bad. I had three years, came down to do that show. I was also doing the Today Show, getting up at 3am, working on that show till 9am, getting in a car and then working until 8pm, trying to get some sleep, trying to do my job. I was so tired. All I did was work, eat shit and sleep. Mm -hmm. And I had no friends. I knew no one really here. And so it was just one day, a friend of mine said, hey, you want to get high? And I was like, sure, sure. I'll smoke some pot. Pot was never my thing. Ah. That was it. That was what I saw because drinking was always my thing. Love a drink. Love a drink. And then I was like, yeah, sure, I'll get high. It was never my problem. I'll be okay. So then I went back to L.A. and they were like, oh, man, your sobriety, you've totally lost your time. And I was like, well, if I lost my three years of time of being sober, I might as well go out and have a fucking party. Right. And it was not pretty. It was not pretty. There was like, One thing that I always enjoyed about drinking was my favorite was blackouts. (laughs) I was like, what's the point of drinking if you're not going to blackout? What does that say? If I remembered it wasn't fun? Yeah, exactly. And so I had a number of blackouts. And down here I, I had some fairly humiliating business situations from being drunk and on sleeping pills. And it was just... Demoralized, yeah, as they say, and so got my shit together again. How long were you out? Oh, in and out for for about two years.
0: Two years, wow.
1: Yeah. Oh man. Yeah.
0: Chills just thinking about that. that's.
1: I never learned to drink like a lady. Well, no, I never did. Oh, can I just sip it? Oh, I'll have a beer and a water and a beer and a water and a beer and a beer and a beer. Oh. Could I have a shot of tequila, please? Why,
0: I don't know why I'm English all of a sudden. But Yeah, it's the deals you make with yourself, yeah. isn't it? It's not just If I have a water between the drinks, yeah. I'll be fine. I'll be oh, fine. Oh, I like to have a spacer between beers.
1: Yeah. Nah. And I just didn't – the bottom line was, Asher, is I didn't like the person I was becoming and the person I was when I was drinking. I wasn't a good friend to myself. I wasn't a good friend to my friends. I embarrassed myself. I embarrassed – my brand, if that really matters. And I was just not a pleasant person. And I looked like a bloated pig. I've spent a lot of money trying to look as young for as long as I can. Why would I fuck it up with booze? I don't know why I'm fat still, but <laughs> you're not. I'm not drinking. Well, it's you're not. The, you know, you're always fat in your mind. <laughs> you are. If you you've, know, if you've,
0: if you've been big, yeah, uh, I don't know, and I have been big. Yeah. What's what's wild is I'm having a bit of a flashback to the first meetings that I ever went to, which were all in West Hollywood, because the first sober person I called to help because I knew this person went to meetings, and he was essentially uh, a Tom of Finland cartoon come to life. Oh yeah, do you have a big dick. I from <laughs> from what I gather in the silhouettes that yeah. I saw but the forearms yeah. the tat, sailor tattoos the mustache the jawline Tom and, of Finland for people who don't know was this
1: uh, artist in like the 40s 50s even something like that 60s
0: he basically created his drew his like if you're a teenager if men yeah if you're, if you're a teenager you're drawing the perfect wave yeah you know and you're trying to like if pipeline was perfect this is what it was like this is the absolute perfect sexual desire object that I have yeah and it was the leather man from village people is the best way I 100 100 but, but if leather the leather man was he man you know just completely yeah. preposterous muscles and and yeah. forearms and, so this guy looked like this i was like holy shit and he was alive of the party and wow. he was sober I'm like what the fuck do you do that how do you do i didn't know that you could and he was a very he's a very talented photographer and i was like how do you do that how do you maintain a career he's like shit so i called him and i said mate i need help i know you go to these meetings can you take me because sure i'll take you and so the first meetings i went to were all in opposite the log cabin on the, the log cabin oh the recovery
1: center on <laughs> yeah. robertson oh that's where I yes so i spent a month there right and that's where sir the uh, beverly hills housewives
0: restaurant is now oh, all right. sir and then pump I've been and then to you sir. have the recovery center i've been to sir yeah anyway so i go to these meetings and exactly what you just said was like, well, there's a long way of getting to this is like sat in this room thinking none of these people understand me i'm a special fucking snowflake they Don't know how famous I am in Australia. And then someone stood up, someone from Kansas or something stood up and basically said exactly what you said just then. And I was like oh, fuck, I'm just a bog standard. This is like the same thing that happens to everybody. It's the same set of behaviors, the same way you feel about yourself, the same inability to control what happens. You end up hating who you are. Like I have said exactly what you just said. You didn't yeah. like, you weren't a good friend to yourself. You didn't like who you were when you, when you did drink. That's exactly what happened to me. And if anyone's listening, I want you to understand that it's okay. This is just the thing that happens to some people when yeah. they, they can't stop drinking. And thankfully there's a way out of it. Mm -hmm. There is a way out of it, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this before.
1: In America, alcoholism and drug addiction, while it is rampant, is less accepted than it is here, especially alcohol consumption and alcoholism. Yeah. There's, I feel, in my opinion, a blind eye is still turned towards people who drink way too much and are probably alcoholics. And it's something you really have a hard time talking about me to Australians who let's say they're like, oh, well, he likes to have a good time. And I'm like, no, he's a fucking drunk, Yeah, you know, but that's judgment and that's my opinion and it's not my business. I remember I saw a commercial on the TV here And it was the cycle of how drinking is passed from a generation to generation. It was like started in the 50s and dad was saying to the little tyke, oh, get dad a beer. And and then the kid goes and gets a beer and comes back and it's that kid now. Hey, get dad a beer. And it's just – it's how it's passed from generation. The thing about – I know I'm moving around a lot. Okay, lockout laws. Yes. Okay, that came To the best of my knowledge, after a bunch of those coward punches happened, those one-punch deaths. Yes. Okay. That was not a result. I mean, you weren't going to cure that by having lockout laws and keeping people out or into clubs after a certain hour. That's caused by irresponsible drinking. That's caused by no education when it comes to drinking at all. Yeah. And that's what it's about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. It's a result of substandard drug and alcohol policy.
1: Yeah, and, and but it starts at the home. It, sure it does. starts at the home and does. the school. If you're going to teach sex education, yeah. you should teach booze and drug education.
0: Well, they, they do, but unfortunately the cultural messaging around booze and drugs is so powerful. You can't show someone smoking in a film now. Yeah, all right. Because holy fuck I'm watching James Dean smoke a cigarette. Now everyone smokes cigarettes because that's the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen because yeah. it looks cool as fuck when James Dean smokes a cigarette, right? Yeah. So similarly when people drink in films or people drink in a music video whatever, mm-hmm. it's like it's seen as extraordinarily you know, I just had an interest it might be a bit of a hot take. I don't know this, but the I oh, he just likes to have a good time. I put it to you Richard Reed, Yeah, that's the boys will be boys of alcohol consumption. Yeah. You know. Oh, 100%. You know, <laughs> she a great set of tits on that secretary. Don't say that that's sexist. Ah, you know, boys will be boys. And then it's gone. Or, you know, a footballer gets in trouble for what happened on a, on a mad Monday. Yeah. And there's some, you know, a horribly you know, affected victim and she's 19 or whatever. Ah, boys will be boys. It's that shit. It's yeah. that same shit. It's yeah. take responsibility for who you are when you drink. Take yeah. respons- And if your friend is that person when they drink, you need to fucking bring it up with them because mark my words, it may not be this party, it may not be the next party, but sometime while you know this person, you are going to be- get pulled into some shit that you don't want to be around and you're going to get pulled into some sort of wild situation because your mate who can't control themselves is going to get into some horrible danger and you're going to get affected oh, by 500%.
1: It. I heard just the other day, this chick at a meeting, she said and I, she was young. You know, out of the mouths of babes sometimes. She said, you know, I didn't get in trouble every time I drank. But every time I got into trouble, I was drunk. And I was like, whoa. The times I got into trouble, I was blotto. Yeah, yeah. And you know, just... Pfft, Hospitals, grabbing people's breasts. Just bad, 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 Richard. Slap my hands. Not good. You know, it's just like, I don't want to be that person. I meet those people all the time still. And I'm like, hey, I'm saving you a seat. <laughs> Anytime. Just let me it's know. And really you know, yeah. and it's really hard. It's just like I probably do have judgment, but I also have compassion. Yeah. You know?
0: Because you know what it is to be in it and not, and not have the choice. Yeah. And as a lot of people don't, it's just, just don't have a fucking drink, mate. It's that easy. No, it's not. You don't get it. Like The compulsion to do it is no less than, okay, you need to pee, don't pee. It's like, yeah. I'm gonna have to pee at some stage and yeah. eventually everything will have to stop and I will pee. Like that's yeah. what it is. Like if you don't, y- 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 you actually can't stop yourself from starting. It's also very hard. It's very hard as men.
1: We don't like to admit defeat. Yeah, yeah. And when you realize that you can't handle your alcohol and you're not drinking responsibly and you're a mess, you have to admit defeat, that something conquered you. And that there's a lot of shame
2: around that, yeah, a lot yeah. of
1: ego around that. Oh, yeah. my God, when I first came to Australia, when I wasn't drinking, I remember I went to, oh, God, The races, the Melbourne Cup, you know, (laughs) Derby Day. I walked right into that red hot mess and someone said, oh, yeah, yeah, let me get you a drink. And I'm like, oh, I don't drink. Oh, let me get you a beer. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. I I don't drink. And they were like, well, why don't you drink? And I was so ashamed to say, oh, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, I have a drinking problem. I said, oh, I've got hepatitis C. And I was like, where did that come from? I'd rather have hepatitis C great than admit I had a drinking problem. It's a great answer. I know. And they uh, walked away. I didn't talk to that person I, uh, again.
0: I take Dave Hughes' lead because Dave Hughes, once, when I, I was still drinking, when I asked him, I was like, how come you don't drink anymore? He goes, because I'm a terrible drunk. Is that why Dave Hughes doesn't drink? Yeah. Said, oh, that's what he said. He said, he's, he's, I'm a terrible drunk. And so now when people ask, he's like, how come you don't drink? because I'm, like, I'm a terrible alcoholic. Yeah. And I've become a human being that I despise if I were to have... A And and I also explain it in that it's a lot like a peanut allergy in that even the tiniest amount of peanuts to someone who's really allergic will change their body's physiology. Their neck will close over. They won't be able to breathe properly. They might die. Similarly, even the smallest amount of alcohol will change what I think is right and wrong, how much I think is a good idea to drink, what I'll do next my moral compass, everything oh, yeah. just, an allergic reaction goes up in my body and it just shifts everything in my brain. And now, But I don't know it because yeah. now I'm in it. Now I'm like, oh, actually, fuck you, let's drink a case. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question.
1: Were you drinking when you were on antidepressants? Oh yeah. Yeah, see, and you're like, you like, know why aren't these fucking antidepressants working? Yes, because I was, that was flushing me
0: flushing them straight through my system. I was like,
1: I was like yeah, absolutely. I was taking all these pills to alter my mood and make me a civilized person. Yeah. And yet I'd get drunk and I'd be like, I'd go to my doctor,
0: like,
1: no, we gotta switch medications. We gotta switch, no, this isn't working. And finally he's like, are you? drinking i'm like yeah every night to get to sleep yeah but he's like these aren't gonna work on, yeah you know and you're like oh i didn't want
0: to hear that <laughs> no, <laughs> no want-
1: can you can you give me a pill
0: that goes with booze yeah my doctor he got at twice he got really mad at me yeah he got really mad at me and, and once was there but i needed it i needed to be i really respected this man he's been on this show and he he got really mad at me he's like oh. yeah he's like you just can't you know You can't see it. Yeah, what do you want? Yeah. What do you want? It's like you're wasting my fucking time, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, if you're depressed and you have anxiety and stress and all that, alcohol is a depressant. It's going to make you more depressed.
0: But it it looks it's not sold that way. It's widely available. No one has to know how much of it you've had. You can self-administer it. You can decide how much dosage you want. You know, you can have it whenever you want. Yes. As well, how do you keep on top of things now? How do you maintain the six pack of resilience in your brain? So I thought you were
1: going to say the six pack got my stomach. And I'm like, you haven't looked at my chubby stomach. How do I keep it together? Yeah, yeah. How do you, what's your,
0: what's your regime like now? Because I mean, if you're anything like me, there's a set of stuff you kind of got to do every day if you want to. And you can get away with a day or two of not doing it. But after a while, you're like, I'm slipping. I'm, I can see the, the flags, the red flags are starting to wave. Oh
1: God, red flags. I'm very self-aware,
0: Yeah, very self-aware.
1: And I try to make sure I'm not self-absorbed. I know if I find that I am having conversations in my head about, you know, if I'm having a fight in my head with someone that's not there, then something's wrong. Yeah. Right? Mm. So that's a big red flag for me. Also at the end of the day, you're probably like this too, before I go to bed, I replay the day in my head and I think, God, did I, was I the best person I can be? Mm. Was I a nice person? Was I rude to someone? Do I have to make anything better? Do I have to make an amends? You know, do I, you know, and I, oh, I should work on that. And, you know, I took this course and this one chick, the, the leader said to me, I was talking about how I was so mean to this girl at work all the time. I was like, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, you're so stupid. Blah, blah, blah,
1: blah. I was just a terror because there was a lot of pressure. Uh, when I was at nine, to be on and to be fabulous every morning. We got to get the ratings. And there's a pressure I put on myself. So I was mean to this chick at work, but I'd always say I was sorry. I'd always say, oh, my God, I'm really sorry about that every day. Oh, I'm really sorry I was so rude. I'm really sorry I was so nasty. So I was telling this lady, this course leader, about that. And she goes, okay, so you're saying that you always apologized. Yeah. But you were an asshole to her every day. And I was like, yeah. She goes, so you are that asshole that thinks it's okay to be an asshole as long as you say you're sorry. And I was like, oh, busted. So busted. I don't wanna be that person who has to go around saying they're sorry. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm a man, I don't like saying I'm sorry. I will if I'm wrong. I'll be the first to go and say, you know what? I was really wrong, I was out of line, you know, and I don't like doing that. And so I try to behave in a way where I don't have to do that. I'm very grateful and very appreciative and very grateful for my life in Australia. And I don't take anything for granted. And I just have to remind myself to live in gratitude. I have a friend who kind of thinks negatively all the time. And I pointed that out to him in a nice way. I said, you know, when I wake up, I'm a bitch I don't like mornings I have to remind myself every day what I'm grateful for and that it's a privilege to be alive and to have all the wonderful things that I have I'm a hard worker I'm a nice person and then that kind of sets the tone for me to go out and be a positive person because I'm negative by nature. It takes work to be positive. But then once you get the hang of it, it becomes much easier. It really
0: does. And lo and behold, the very same world that you walked into thinking the world was against you now suddenly is for you. Yeah. And the world didn't change. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) That's the one thing. Okay. Another thing is, I
1: know I went through many, many decades where, well, I was hated when I was young and I had a very hard time bullying and stuff, but I don't want to digress. So I went through life assuming everyone was against me. So I was going to hate you before yeah. you hated me. I'll get on top of this. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. so preemptive. Just, I was yeah. nasty and sassy and just, ugh. And then I let that go. And now I just, once I realized... I'm thinking, oh, they're thinking this about me. They're thinking how horrible I am. Oh, they're thinking I'm a big old fag. And Oh, they're thinking this. Once I realized that they weren't thinking that, I'm thinking that. They're thinking about themselves. No one's thinking about me. They're thinking about themselves because I know I'm thinking about myself. And so now I don't really care what people think (laughs) because it's not my business. I'm not a fucking mind reader. Wow. That was a big one. It's like, I don't know what you're thinking and whatever you're thinking, I don't really care. That's why I I, I still am baffled that I won I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here last year, that I was crowned king of the jungle. I don't know why. And I think it was because I went in there with the attitude, I'd rather be happy than right. I don't need to be right. What's it going to get me? I need to be right. No, you're wrong. I'm right. And then someone ends up feeling bad. I don't want to be that person that, Makes me feel bad. Makes you feel bad. I'm like, whatever. And I don't know if it's old age or medication. I was like, I don't really care. You know, that's a nice feeling, not to care. But, not about other people. I care immensely about other people's feelings. Yeah. But I don't need to be right, you know?
0: Right. My- right. Sorry, yeah. if I like just no, got did no, I get like, an out of just, body experience? You're just dripping some just some fantastic wisdom, and you know, <laughs> I don't know if you can kind of believe this, but you know, that's about an hour ten. No,
1: no, no, no. Yeah. Stop. How good. That was good. That flew by.
0: You're great. I hope I didn't bore anybody. No, mate.
1: We didn't even get to talk about my weight issues. Usher. Sure.
0: You can always come back another time. <laughs>
1: Thank you. A pleasure.
0: <laughs> A pleasure. <laughs> All right, let's get off into this beautiful Sydney afternoon. That, friends and lovers, was Richard Reed. You can find him on Twitter at R Reeds Hollywood. That's R R E I D S Hollywood. Cracking conversation. I'm really grateful that we got a chance to talk about that sobriety stuff. It's good because I don't like to go on about it out of context, you know. It's nice to be able to talk about it in context because when I've got, you know, permission to really dig into it with someone, it's good. I really like it because I never heard conversations like that about sobriety. For me, sobriety was boring and sad and a punish. It couldn't be, you know. I was saying to Audrey just last night, you know, as we... um as we lay in bed at night just before we drift off to sleep we normally check in with each other and um, when I was in the depths of it very early on in the first 90 days of my sobriety I remember particularly actually more actually it was right after my my divorce when I was just I was just fucked like well what do I do now you know I was like there's no way my life will ever be different. This is how life will be forever. I will always want to drink every day and I will never have a career again and I'll never have money and i will completely blown the whole fucking thing. And they said in that room that I was in, if you just do this, you take these steps, you do what we tell you, what you thought you had and what you thought was the best thing in the world will look like nothing compared to what you'll get. And you know what? They were right. (laughs) I couldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed it. Mm -hmm. I would have said, yeah, that's right for everybody else, but never me. But they were right. As I lay there, it was this incredible woman that I adore and this beautiful family that we have in her house. Fuck. (laughs) I couldn't have believed it. But they weren't lying. So... If you uh, find yourself to be uh, in a similar pickle, I would encourage you to practice these principles with all of your, in all of your affairs and with as much gusto as you possibly can. I remember someone telling me once that if you go after your sobriety half as much as you went after drinking, you will be more than fine because the amount of effort time organisation that I put in to drinking and using would took a lot of time and effort you know to make sure that I could have the time to drink and use like I did doesn't take that long to stay sober you know put a lot more time on your hands anyway I'll probably talk more about that in a couple weeks anyway Big thanks to everyone that helped me make this show. Thank you very much to the great team at the Batuta Advocate for allowing me to use their studios. They are top-shelf gentlemen, and it's uh, always a cracking time to go in there and say hi. Big thanks to Andy Ma, my audio producer, who edited and cut this episode. Thank you to Rachel Barrett, my show producer, for making sure Richard and I could be in the same room at the same time. Um, Rachel, basically, she's the EP of my life. She organises my life. I I, I, I can't do anything work-wise without her. She's just in control of the situation. Mike Mills, who made all the music. Toe Hider, he's ace. And you, for listening. Thank you so much. Because um, I can't make this show without you. And there are hundreds and thousands of people just like you. Because I see the stats. And it's bananas how many people listen. And I couldn't be more grateful. If you need me, send me an email. Send us your email at gmail.com is where I am. Dadpod is taking a bit of a break. We are on a season break, as Charlie and I... I'll get all our ducks in a row for season two. I've got a few plans there. So um, Dad Pod is on a bit of a hiatus for a couple of weeks and we'll be back um, pretty soon. Have a cracking week. Be good to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to your parents. Be kind to your kids. Hug a dog. I should hug my dog. He's barky, so I'm quite annoyed with him, so I don't hug him as much. I should go and hug him. All right. Better get to it. Have a great week. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things.